Good morning, everybody. So, today I have the honor <laughs> of sharing my uh, story of how I became a Christian and a sister in Christ to many of you here today. So, uh, as many of you know, I'm Nigerian and I'm from a tribe known as the Igbo people. And we are. <laughs> Thank you, Aki. And, um, we are, you know, known to be very industrious people, very intentional people. I mean, Nigerians as a whole, as Tunde, I, I actually thought Tunde saw some of my notes because he spoke about Ope's name, meaning thanks. And I was going to lead in today with my name. So my full name is actually Ogechi, which is an evil name that means God's time. As my brother Michael will know, there's usually something that follows that. <laughs> and so um, I was given this name by my parents because um, they hoped I was a third child and they hoped for a boy. You see, in Nigeria in those days, it was not so long ago, having a male child was really important to carry on the family's name. So my parents desperately wanted a male child, but they got me instead. And they named me Ogeisha as a kind of consolation to themselves and a reminder that um, in God's time, their prayers will be answered. And uh, it was answered. Uh, nine years after I was born, they had their fifth child, who was uh, a boy, and they were happy. So um, with a name like that, and living in a country like Nigeria, it was impossible to grow up without an awareness of God. But I think my, my, my conscious relationship with God did not actually begin until I was almost 20 and in the year 2000. I believe that God, in his wisdom and in his perfect timing, orchestrated events in my life to make himself known to me at just the right time. So today I want to share with you some of the lessons I think that God was teaching me up until that time when I was 20 and possibly still afterwards. But some of the three, I, I want to share three key things I think that God was trying to teach me before I stepped into this conscious relationship with him. So um, I struggled to give these lessons uh, titles because they ended up in sentences. So <laughs> I'm just going to tell the story and then at the end of each one, I'll tell you what I think the lesson is. So this is lesson one, which has no title. Churches were everywhere in Nigeria when I was growing up. I mean, you could walk down one street and you would find 10 churches. I'm not joking. And all of them offering their version of Christianity, you know, coming with certain conditions of what you must do to be accepted almost by God. So some of these churches insisted on their members, perhaps wearing only white garments, maybe as a sign of purity. There's always a, I mean, I look on it now and it seems ridiculous, but there's always a reason why they probably started those things. So when I think about the white garments, I think they probably wanted to have a symbol of purity. Um, some churches insisted on not wearing jewelry. Some insisted on not wearing makeup. Again, maybe trying to uphold the value of modesty. Some insisted on not wearing shoes in the building, maybe to signify that the place was holy. Not watching television using holy oils, using holy water. All of these things were based on a belief that if you did these things, you would be more acceptable to God. 
which in a way it's commendable because striving for simplicity in your life, striving for purity, striving for modesty are all good things. But it's also possible to have all these things or do all these things outwardly and still have an impure heart. I think it wasn't until I started, I studied the Bible that I understood what I would call maybe the hidden impurities that we could have. Because I, I would almost have said I was a good person, but studying the Bible helped me to see beyond my deeds and see deeper into my thoughts and, and down to that level as well. So all these things that I saw or I witnessed in churches, I tried some of those things myself, actually. I went through a phase where I was not wearing any jewelry. I went through a phase where I thought, oh, I'm not going to wear trousers. But that didn't last very long because I really, really wanted to wear jeans. I couldn't give them up. And I also remember when I, my parents went to an Anglican church, and I remember when I had my baptism in the Anglican church. And I was really conscious that, you know, it makes you right with God. But I was also conscious that, I think growing up, I lied a lot. I think I was scared of getting into trouble. So I, I used to lie a lot. So I was conscious that if I opened my mouth, I would lie and I would ruin this perfect state I was in with God. So on that day of my baptism, I didn't speak for a very long time. I just thought I needed not to speak so that I would stay in this good state with God. Of course, that, that didn't last long. <laughs> so um, I didn't know it then, but these experiences, I think through these experiences, the lesson that God was trying to teach me was that my human efforts had their limitations. They could not help me to be righteous. Even if I somehow managed to obtain what would be a very, very long list of things that I have to do to please God, even if I had the key, I had that list, I don't think, I, I wouldn't be able to do it by myself. I wouldn't be able to do it. And the lesson was that this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus is actually the only route to God. That's why the Bible calls him the perfect sacrifice. If we sacrifice everything without Jesus, it would be worthless. All our efforts would just be like treating our symptoms when Jesus was in fact actually, the, or is in fact actually the cure to our disease. So that was my first lesson, Jesus being the perfect sacrifice and being the, the cure that I needed, that I didn't know that I needed. So my second lesson was around um, fear. So again, in growing up in Nigeria, you are quickly made aware of the concepts of, um, and, and maybe not everybody, but in my kind of upbringing personally, going to church with my parents, I was quickly made aware of um, the concepts of heaven and hell. And in the teaching, hell was really frightening. The problem though was that no matter how frightening that picture of hell was painted, it was too far away in the future, actually, to compel me to live differently. I felt like, well, that's eternal life. That's when you're done. Even at that time when you're growing up, you don't really understand death. You don't understand death. I, I didn't understand death because it was just a word. I remember, you know, you, you, you hear that. My, I saw my parents watching the news, watch maybe there's news of, of an accident and there's news of somebody dying. And even if it's one pe person dying, 
I didn't understand why people were very sad because I felt like it's just one person. I didn't really understand it. I remember when the switch happened, when I lost my grandma. Before that, I didn't have any concept of death. So all that teaching around hell and heaven and eternal life didn't really do anything for me. It just made me scared in the moment. It made me scared of punishment, but not in a way that I that made me avoid it. And as I grew older, the pursuit of pleasure was actually much more a motivation than avoiding this, this punishment of, of hell. And I, I rationalized things in my, my very naive mind even at that time. I was very much in love with Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I remember thinking, again, in my naive mind, that concluding that, okay, Michael Jackson doesn't really look like he's on the road to heaven. He looks like he's on the path to hell. Again, stupid, young, judgmental mind. But I said to myself, well, if he's on the path to hell, well, I don't mind going there because he'll be there and then we can be together then. <laughs> so I don't know if anybody's had such stupid thoughts before, but I definitely thought about things like that. I rationalized things like that in my head because I didn't really want to I don't think my heart or my mind was ready to conceive the kind of life that God was calling me to live. And those concepts, I guess, didn't make any sense to me, didn't make sense to me. I did know, however, and I think God was trying to teach me through those things, that fear of punishment never really brings out the best in any of us. My father was very strict, very, very strict. He would shut the place down, he would beat us if we did things that were wrong. It was not a great environment. But even as much as I was scared of my dad, it never really motivated me not to do bad things. It just made me feel like I have to be smart so that he doesn't find out. Yes. And when I bring that concept into thinking about, you know, heaven and hell, fear of punishment was not enough to make me pursue sexual purity. It wasn't. It wasn't enough to make me pursue honesty. It wasn't enough for me to, you know, get rid of jealousy and bitterness and envy and things like that. No, it wasn't. Every single time my desires trumped everything I knew about what's right, what's wrong, what you're going to get punished for, what you're going to get rewarded for. And it was easier to live for the present and not worry about the consequences. And that's how pretty much how I lived my life. That's how I lived my life when I was young. There's a side effect to this, though, which I'm sure a lot of us can testify to, is that sometimes the guilt sets in and, and you sit with that guilt and you don't know what to do with it. So I was stuck in this cycle of, you know, feeling the fear, doing the thing anyway, feeling like a failure, feeling guilty. And the cycle went on like that. I could easily spend Monday to Saturday indulging all my desires. Then maybe I'd go to church on a Sunday and depending on what type of church and what was said or what music played, I would just shed guilty tears and be broken. But only for a little while because the cycle will start again the next day. After a while, I thought the only way that I can escape this cycle is really to just numb everything, stop going to church. And that's exactly what I did. It was easier for me when I moved to England to stop going to church because it wasn't like Nigeria churches were not lining the streets like they did. So it was 
easy enough to do. I didn't know this at the time, but God was trying to teach me that I could not base my relationship on him, uh, with him on fear or guilt. I think that was the second lesson that God was trying to teach me. And I know the Bible says something about perfect love drives out fear. And I truly believe that because fear is not a motivator. It's not a great motivator. We definitely should have a reverence for God, for who he is, but not the kind of fear that I was experiencing when I was growing up. So my, sec- my third lesson, third and final lesson that I think God was trying to teach me was around love. Up until that time, I had been in churches. I had heard the stories. I had heard about Jesus died for our sins. I had heard all those things, but I don't think I truly understood it. So this was around the year 2000. I was in the third year of my uh, degree and I took one year out to, to work. You could do that then. And that counted towards your degree. So I had a job in Reading and I was living in a nice flat that I shared with a friend. I was working, I was earning money. I was, you know, living on my own. I even had a nice boyfriend and life was very good for me at that time. Then one day I was walking the streets of Reading and this young lady asked me for directions. And she was American. Again, I loved everything about America then. It's changed now, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> and so when she spoke to me, I wouldn't normally speak to people on the street, but when she spoke to me, I thought, oh, she's American. Oh, okay. I spoke to her. She asked me for directions. I not only gave her the directions, I walked with her. We started chatting. We became friends. We exchanged numbers. And then she asked me to follow her to her church. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd, you know, given up all those things. I didn't really want to go. I made many excuses. We texted ourselves now and again for a few months until finally I went to church with her. And I remember that sermon that was preached 22 years ago. The topic was righteous indignation. I still remember that. During that sermon, we explored how Jesus reacted when the temple was turned into a marketplace. That was the the focus. I'd been to church so many times before that, but I can't tell you I remember anything that was preached at any other time before that that was really, really significant. In that place, I didn't feel like we were doing things to try and redeem ourselves or make ourselves acceptable to God in that service on that day. The fear of hell was not the focus of the message. It was about understanding Jesus. It was about knowing God. And I was really, really, really struck by that. Because to then I had never experienced anything like that. Another thing that struck me that day was when I looked at, it's funny, you mentioned something about leaders today. today. Another thing that struck me was when I looked at the leaders of the church at that time. It's not so much prevalent in this country, but in Nigeria, churches are almost like an enterprise and church leaders are prosperous. And, and there was a time when there was what we call the prosperity gospel being peddled, meaning if you serve God, you will be rich and you will have good things. And so I was really surprised to see, and I didn't agree with it. I mean, I didn't know very much then, but that I knew that surely God was not just, he was not just going to 
make you rich because you followed him. It didn't make sense to me, but that was being peddled at the time. But when I came to this church that this American girl, Christine, invited me to, I noticed that the church leader was driving a beat-up car. I noticed that he was... He wasn't dressed in an extravagant way. His wife wore the same shoes to church every Sunday. Even I noticed that the heels of the shoes were worn. And I, just, I was thinking, why is she wearing those shoes? But that struck me as well, that they weren't materialistic. They weren't preaching this prosperity gospel. They were just preaching Jesus. So I came back to visit that church. And I came back again. and eventually. I went through a series of Bible studies to get to know Jesus better, to get to know what the church uh, believed in. And then I learned that I no longer had to rely on my efforts to redeem myself because Jesus had already done that on the cross. I felt God's love through the people and through the Bible studies, and I responded to that love. Obedience to God actually became more important to me than my own desires. That was something that I'd never, my, my desires had always won over any, any need or to, to obey God. But after studying the Bible, it changed. I broke up with that nice boyfriend because I wanted to pursue purity. Something I never thought I would be able to do. And all my friends at the time said I was stupid and that I was going to regret it and that I was not going to last. After studying the Bible for a few months, I I got baptized into Christ. And this time I didn't have to keep quiet for fear of of ruining the experience. The cycle of fear, failure, and guilt was finally broken. So for the past 22 years, I've had this relationship with God. And I've been part of a church community where I've been able to grow not only in my faith, but also in my character. Because character stays with you forever. That's a very hard one. It doesn't just get fixed overnight, as my family would tell you. (laughs) Being being a Christian has influenced my life choices. It's influenced my marriage. It's so weird. This morning at breakfast, my son asked me a strange question. He said, (laughs) and he's in there, so he's not going to be embarrassed. He, He said... Mom, did you have any boyfriends before daddy? He's he's nine. He's nine. I said, yeah, I did. And then he goes, oh, so so who are they? Do I know them? And I said, no, (laughs) you don't know them. And then he goes, where are they? I mean, just because you broke up doesn't mean you can't still be friends. And I said, said, no, it doesn't work that way, you know? Everybody's kind of moved on with their lives. And, and then he asked me, he said, so what was the reason why you broke up? He said, so what happened? This is at, what, nine o'clock in the morning? <laughs> so I said to him, I said, there were many things. But I think the, mo- the most important thing was that they didn't want to have a relationship with God. So I think he's so, I was preparing this, obviously. And then he asked me that question and I was able to tell him that. And so it is true that, it influenced my life choices, it influenced who I, I got married to. And so, obviously, because he loves his dad, he said, he started listening. I, I said to him, if they didn't want to, to follow 
God. So I was looking for a man who was going to follow God, who was going to be kind, who was going to be sensitive, who was going to be all those things. And then he said, oh yeah, that needs all those things and more. <laughs> so, being a Christian has influenced my, my friendships. It's influenced my parenting. And I think without it, uh, my life would not be like it is today. God has also changed my perspective on my name. For a long time, being a pessimist, I translated my name to mean that things are not going to come to me at the time when I want them. Because obviously, it's very unlikely that my timing is going to align with God's timing, you know? Because it's just something you said to people, oh, God's time, in God's time is going to happen, which basically meant, you know, you're just going to have to learn to wait. <laughs> and that's how I viewed my name. But God has shown me that I can trust his timing, even in the most difficult circumstances. Through periods of loss, betrayal, even financial need, loneliness, he always comes through for me just in time. So today I stand assured that God sees me. He has always seen me. He has plans for me that will come to be at just the right time. And I hope that as you've heard me talk today, you too can experience the same assurance. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Oge. So I, I would consider myself just like Oge. I consider myself a very big fan of Michael Jackson. <laughs> I love his music. I think it's, he was very, very talented. He's my favorite artist of all time. I keep listening to his songs more than 12 years after he died. But in all my love for Michael Jackson, I never considered spending eternity with him. <laughs> so, so I think Ogi takes that to the next level. But, but thanks, thanks so much for sharing that. So I'm just going to spend a few minutes to reflect on some of the things that um, Ogi has spoken about. Um, one of the things I like about testimonies, I've, I've heard this testimony before. I heard it yesterday for the first time in, in this structure. I already knew all the details. But one of the things about bringing it out like this is that it just helps you see things in hindsight and see the complete picture. So everything Oge has spoken about, the active parts from when she was about, it's happened over a period of 12 years. And looking at the whole story, then you, you, you're able to see what plans God had and the role that each thing placed. And it's just like um, the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 17. You don't have to go there. From verse 26, it reads, From one man he has made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he has marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him, reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from them, from us. So it's just interesting how for Ogesh's at this point where she felt she had escaped from from that constantly being pushed with environmental factors to go to church. 
and you have time to settle and understand the things you want to add in life. And, and then this opportunity came. So at this point, it wasn't really a case of circumstances pushing you to have a relationship with God, but rather it was being in a state where you can assess your life and make a decision, which I think God worked out. Now, well, one of the things that stands out the most in what Oge shared, next slide, please, is she talks about this cycle of fear, failure, and guilt. Now, this is a cycle I believe that all of us at different times experience in different areas of our lives. In fact, for me, I'll say at every point in time, this, this cycle ex exists in, some, in at least one area of my life. In some cases, it could be in areas of your life where you're in a position of responsibility. So maybe in your life as a parent, or maybe you have people who work for you, you lead a team, and there's this fear of the expectation. As a parent, there's a constant fear of whether or not you can meet up with the demands of being a good parent. And at times when you feel you're failing as a parent, there's a lot of guilt. But like Oge pointed out, relationships based on fear do not usually thrive. And and we can easily get locked in the cycle of fear, failure, and guilt. In other cases, it might be in our relationship with someone in a position of authority. Um, it could be a relationship with our parents. Sometimes parents have very high expectations of their kids. In Nigeria, it was a very common thing. Your parents will decide from when you're very young what you're going to study. It doesn't matter what your passions are, and you have to follow through with that. And for people who maybe didn't align, you always feel you have failed. If you, your dad wants you to be a doctor and you're not, you're an accountant, it's almost like you have failed. And then you feel guilty that your life is falling apart. But like, like again, like Oge said, relationships based on fear do not try. And then the highest authority in our lives as Christians is God. And in our relationship with God, one thing that plays a big role is usually the church. And like, like she, she mentioned, in some cases, we'll find the situation where these rules are being made. So it's already hard to, to, have, to be aligned with God's goals, given that God is perfect and we have this high authority. But then all these rules make it a lot more complex. And even though Oge's examples were in Nigeria, it's something I believe we all experience from time to time in any, any institution we are in, in any church we are in. In fact, in the Bible, this already existed. And in, um, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 to 23, it reads, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do, you do not taste, do not touch? These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, which again, I think Oge captured quite nicely in, in how fear didn't motivate her to change. So the, the question now becomes, in our relationship with God, what, how can we actually break out of the cycle of fear, failure, and guilt? How can we reach that standard, that very high standard of being aligned with what God wants from us? Now, um, Stefan preached. Stefan is, is, um, is one of our members. He's not here today. Um, he preached a few weeks ago about what sin is. And he defines sin 
or well, he didn't define it. He explained that the meaning of sin is missing the mark. Um, and if you think about it, it's going to be hard as human beings to ever to constantly hit the mark and reach God's standards. Now, aware of this, and I believe this is why God has sent us Jesus Christ. Because on one hand, we have God who is perfect and in a way out of reach because he's he's so far away from us. And I think when when he looked at that relationship and he wanted us to be in a position where we could reach him, sending Jesus Christ as a human being was a perfect way to do this. It was a perfect way to bridge that gap so that we wouldn't have that huge, um, huge unrealistic standard thinking, how can we be like God who is a spirit? So Christ was in human form. And the last verse I'm going to read before we um, share communion is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And it reads, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have, great, have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance, and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts spring, um, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the real important point here is just being cleansed from a guilty conscience because just like fear, when we live with guilt, if we have a relationship where we constantly feel guilty, we can't have, we can't live to the full potential of that relationship. The guilt is always going to be in the way. It's always going to stand in the way of exploring just the normal relationship. If you think about having a relationship with our parents, if we're always feeling guilty that we're not reaching the expectation, then we can't just have normal conversation because it's always behind. And I think it's very important to think about how um, Christ brings a solution to this. If you just go to the next slide. And the way I like to think of it is that the love of Christ basically breaks that constant um, cycle, that cycle of, of fear, guilt, and failure. The love of Christ breaks all of that. And and that, for me, is what communion means. And that is what, when I listen to August's um, testimony, that is what I can take out of it because she started from a place where she's trying to achieve all these unrealistic standards to be pushed to the point where she doesn't even want to talk. And then to the other extreme of, okay, well, if I go to hell, I'll build Michael Jackson and, and all of that, right? To, to have those extremes because of these unrealistic, unrealistic um, expectations. But then the love of Christ breaks that. And I think as we take part in the communion today, we should just try and think about that. Think about how the sacrifice is what gives us that opportunity. It takes away that, that unrealistic standard and it opens the door for us to have a relationship with God. So um, I'm going to call Simone now to pray for us and we take the bread and wine. So thank you so much for listening. Let us pray. Dear God, uh, today we gather together to remember the sacrifice you made in sending your son, Jesus Christ, your beloved son, to be with us. We thank you for his words, actions, and obedience to suffer on the cross for our salvation. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for any thoughts, words, or deeds that we have 
then then we have not honored you this week and then we have not honored you this week sorry <laughs> um and pray that you will inhabit our hearts and minds not just when we take communion but every day to glorify you that all i pray in jesus name amen, amen.